0: Hey friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to Lighting a Fire.
1: Our capacity to witness to the truth of the gospel is dependent on our capacity to love each other while we disagree. This is the cultural moment for the Ministry of Reconciliation.
0: Michael, thank you so much for joining us this morning on the show. As we're thinking about conflict, that's a word that I hear, and I, I even kind of physically cringe a little bit. Yeah. I think of conflict as something to be avoided at all costs most of the time. But you and and the team at Colossian Forum have a different take on conflict. Would you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what the Colossian Forum is and does?
1: Sure, we're a, a small nonprofit here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We've been around for about a decade, and we were called into existence because the church simply wasn't doing very well in the way that it was disagreeing. And there were a number of conflicts on the radar around human origins, how to read the Bible, sexuality. Uh, we weren't anything, we weren't where we are now in terms of polarization, but it was all sort of right there. And it was so clear to me that Christians were beginning to sort of set aside their faith commitments in order to wage war on certain cultural issues. And, and, it, and it's damaging our capacity to witness, it's damaging our capacity to pass on the faith to the next generation who really see the church mimicking the wider culture ideologically, uh, rather than demonstrating a, a, an actual alternative to the culture in the kingdom. And in, in the face of the most difficult cultural conflicts, we, we don't reflect Jesus. And so uh, we crafted our organization around a mission to equip believers and leaders to transform the cultural conflicts, to use them as opportunities for spiritual growth and witness instead of you know division and warfare. Hmm. We actually work to equip leaders to use the energy itself of the conflict to deepen discipleship and harness it through shared Christian practices. And our vision ultimately is is of a Christian community that acts Christian, especially in the face of conflict. And so we got launched a decade ago before the world went nuts.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) You know, we really had no idea what was coming. And, And, you know, Arthur Brooks wrote an article in the New York Times last year, the culture of contempt and he, he just laments the fact that the way that we primarily relate to people who disagree with us is is as somebody that's ignorant stupid or just plain evil and we're kind of addicted to to blowing people who disagree with us off and treating them as beneath our dignity to even engage hmm. um, we're more polarized polarized any time since the civil war one in six of us is no longer speaking to a family member since the last election and at the same time, at the same time, 93% of Americans are longing to do better, if if only they knew how. Hmm. And so there's this incredible opportunity for the church, who has been given, as Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. If we could embrace this vision and this opportunity, there's simply nothing more important, beautiful, and relevant than the church could be today than an alternative to this polarization.
0: Hmm. oh man wow i'm very excited to explore that further before we do can we back up just a little bit do you have any insight as to how we got here you're describing this more polarized than since the civil war how, how did that happen are there like historical moments or movements that have created this this kind of cluster effect what do you think
1: yeah there are a lot of tectonic shifts happening but they've been happening uh, for a long time there's this fantastic book by a guy named david brewbreker called When the center does not hold leading in an age of polarization and his argument is that look this has been happening building for 40 years at least maybe Hmm. maybe since the 60s and he identifies some central factors um, and he kind of puts them together and says when we have increasing income inequality and we have sort of identity politics where people's central identity is threatened, which we really see with the disestablishment of the church and the sort of white majority and so on in the country. Or look at George Floyd and Black Lives Matters, right? Like there's, it's so clear these deep identity threats are happening from both sides and people are dissatisfied with the way things are. So income inequality, identity threat. And then you have this moment of articulated grievance so it it, you, it it kind of catalyzes and trump has really been that voice to catalyze this articulated grievance of one part of the population and black lives matters is another and you know me too is another and they're, they're all sort of articulating grievance that are rooted in different kinds of this inequality and identity threat and that just becomes this really explosive mixture that ends up in, in massive polarization so it's it's those factors kind of coming together over time Um, I think another major factor has to be the collapse of the economic model for journalism right now all of our news media is driven by algorithms that click you know whatever we click on drives sales and the brain science tells the algorithms that the more extreme (laughs) the thing that's being put out there the the more it sells and so without anybody trying to move us, if we just if we just follow the clicks, if we follow the next YouTube link, it's going to move us to the left or to the right. And um, you know you can see this in spades in a Netflix documentary social dilemma. it's really quite disturbing. Throw on top of that a pandemic. <laughs> um, a presidential election. We're stuck in our houses, We're frustrated. More and more of our communications is disembodied rather than being with others. When we're disembodied, we work differently. When we can see each other, uh, when we can be in the same room, look into each other's eyes, that actually chemically releases oxytocin in our bodies and we relax and it, it's a bonding chemical. When we're separated, when things are tense, we get um, you know, stress hormones and that that's not helpful and we end up really wound up. So all, all of these things are going on together.
0: Wow. Hearing you describe that makes me think like, oh yeah, this is, I mean, such a combustible moment in time. I'm a Bible teacher, Michael, and I teach the gospels primarily. I'm just thinking about the first century. Even some of the things you just described make me think of some of the the culture and the climate of the first century, different perspectives, all kinds of clashing forces happening. And in the midst of all the, the chaos, Jesus calls a zealot to be his follower and a tax collector to be his follower. Yeah, Just with that, with that in mind, these two individuals who probably want each other dead, and yet Jesus calls them to follow him and also prays in John's gospel that they would become one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. I mean, that seems almost outrageous. And yet that's what Jesus was up to. And I imagine that's still what Jesus is up to mm-hmm. today, What kind of unique witness can Christians offer in times of such polarization? And then maybe more importantly, how do we get there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I I love your uh, analogy from the disciples, you know, and um, I I like to ask the next question. So who did Jesus side with? Hmm. Right. Did he side with with the nationalists? You know the, the nationalist, you know, zealot rebel, or did he did he did he go with the with the cultural insider, the capitulator, right, the, the sellout, and you know he didn't he didn't side with either. He laid down his life for both of them and called them to be one. That's the beginning, right? And and as, again, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, there's an article by Tom Wright recently on race, um, on on um, deconstructing racism. And he says, you know, Christians focus on so heavily, especially Protestants in the New Testament, about faith and works, which comes up in Galatians and Romans. He says, but what we're missing is our vocation to be a people of the kingdom from every tribe, nation and language. And that's in every single Pauline letter, right? Hmm. Um, The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in Christ's life, death and resurrection. The, the, the hostility between heaven and earth, and therefore Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, black, white, left, right, right? This has been broken down. And so Christians are called to live out that vocation together. And and the world just desperately needs a new option right now. I mean, what's, yeah. what's on the table is not working. It is destroying the nation. It is destroying the church and is destroying lives, especially those of the marginalized. We need this new possibility, but it, it it can't be theoretical for us. It can't just be just a vision. We actually have to experience it, right? We need to embody this kingdom of reconciliation by how we live together, so that we can witness to it. And so, like the concretes are are kind of embedded in there. We need we need to recover a theological vision for the kingdom, and what we're called to, which is this 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 foretaste of life together across and amidst disagreements. We can't just pretend that a zealot and a, a tax collector suddenly agree on everything, right? Jews and Gentiles, I mean, the epistles are, are shot full with, now you're going to have to figure out how to live together, right? So <laughs> first you need that vision, and then you need to have a, a, set, a conceptual frame, a how, right? You need the why, and then you need the how, a conceptual frame for how conflicts can be transformed, and then a set of practices or spiritual disciplines by which to live it out together. Gathering intentionally in the name of Jesus, who holds us together, practicing loving each other while we disagree, remaining vulnerable to each other in the spirit, so that we can experience God doing a new thing in our midst, so that we can we can experience reconciliation together, and then be able to witness to it to the wider
0: world. So, Michael, everything you're describing, I'm, I'm nodding my head, saying like, yes. I think there was a time. When I was more hopeful than I am now, not to not to sound uh, doom and gloom, but in the actual nitty gritty relationships, say of a Christian school where there are hundreds gather who represent hundreds of families and several different churches from different theological backgrounds and perspectives, what what are some real practical on the ground wisdom that you've gathered? over your time with the Colossian Forum that you can offer to say Christian school communities as we're trying to to navigate all this craziness?
1: Yeah, I mean the first the first thing is to recognize the incredibly difficult situation Christian schools or any Christian community, churches, denominations, colleges are in. Because of the declining influence of Christianity, Christian schools are under under pressure, serious pressure, right? So financial pressure. But we also have to realize that the models on the table are, are death. Uh, a, a school administrator cannot afford to lose 50% of his constituency. They can't mm-hmm. afford to lose 5% of their constituency. So to play out the cultural dynamics is to guarantee your own death. And, mm-hmm. and that's to sort of try to play to a, to a segment of the market, right? Okay, we're going to be a progressive school. We're going to be a conservative school. That's death. It's not going to work. Not only that, you have absolutely nothing to offer the culture at that point, other than, you know, maybe a slightly better education, but you have no witness, you have no vision. Hmm. And so you have to begin by recognizing the status quo isn't going to work that, you know, the cultural status quo. We have to look back to the, the heart of our mission, which is to be a Christian community, a, a community of reconciliation, where we expect to find in the other, the image of God Those we disagree with are created in the image of God, and we need to expect to find God there. And Christian schools in particular can be a place to explore that. We can explore this this amazing God who, while we were yet sinners, i.e., God disagreed with us, he died for us, right? And we need to learn to love one another sacrificially the way God loved us. That creates possibilities. So we have to give up the need to win the culture war in order to love each other and demonstrate the kind of love that God has shown for us. So you have to reconstitute your community identity around this cultural possibility of being an alternative people because of our faith hmm. and, and to practice it together so that when somebody says something you simply can't believe, like I don't know how you can say that, that our our habit at that moment is to remember our shared faith and to, and to remember the Imago Dei. They're created in the image of God. We're going to expect to find God in them. This needs to become our habit. And we need to be um, affirming their faith. I know that you're a Christian. I know that you're created in the image of God. I know you're a rational, intelligent human being. So explain to me how you believe that and hold to the faith that we share, because I really want to know. Right. That is that kind of habit that has to start with leadership and run all the way down through and disseminate through the community. So you need to be gathered around this this vision of reconciliation. This is the cultural moment for the Ministry of Reconciliation.
0: Hmm. Amen. So, so true. Michael, do you think part of this has to do with almost like a stunted identity as Christ followers? I think about uh, a chapel speaker years ago said sports are more powerful than Jesus, and she yeah. was trying to to be provocative a little bit, but just to say you you see this sometimes where we're gathered around, say the Detroit Tigers, and yeah. we can disagree about a whole host of things, but as long as you're a Tigers fan and I'm a Tigers fan, we're we're brother and sister. You know, we're we're in this together. And that Jesus, perhaps the, the witness of the church at times, is that Jesus doesn't have that kind of sticking power. Is part of the problem, do you think that we just don't have the, that identity fleshed out? We're not living into that quite as, as powerfully as maybe Jesus hoped and talked about in the New Testament? What do you think?
1: Well, I think this is, this is obviously the case. Um, there's a lot of data to suggest that the way that we make decisions is driven far more by our, our political ideology than by our faith commitments. When it comes to masks, republicans you know it's straight down the middle it's straight republicans and democrats think differently about masks red counties and blue counties are having different results like this is straight ideology Mm -hmm. so so there is a lot of evidence to show exactly what to confirm exactly what you're saying and and a lot of it has to do with how our identity is being shaped through our consumption of news media from our echo chamber right we're hearing different storylines and those storylines are being put out by news channels that are, that are harvesting our attention and selling it. And we need to spend a lot more time gathering in the name of Jesus instead of the name of our political ideology to stop mimicking the culture and start becoming an alternative culture. To proclaim the Prince of Peace while mimicking a violent and divisive culture is just hypocritical. And to be willing to rip apart the body of Christ in Christian communities over political ideology is idolatry that has to be named and and wrestled with honestly and we're we're sort of reaping the harvest as christian communities are unraveling but but it's one of those situations where well we got nothing left to try but maybe follow jesus so there's a good <laughs> and it just happens to be that this is what the world needs right
0: and totally i'm sure michael you have those conversations where you know if i'm able to identify that oh i am pledging my allegiance to an ideology rather than to Jesus, then maybe we can get somewhere. But I think part of the challenge is that we view this landing in this political category as the act of a true Christian. Yeah, right. How do you get past that idea?
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's right. I mean, this is part of the difficulty is that our our theological imagination has been captured by political ideology and expressed through political ideology. And the way past that is is the reason Jesus was incarnate. God didn't have to send down a series of statements from on high. He needed to be with us because there are times when words fail because they mean different things to different people when we can Mm. love each other in, in an embodied fashion. So we are tempted in the middle of this polarized time to reduce everyone that we communicate with to the abstraction of being left or right, enemy or friend. When in reality, when we live together, when we share life, When we worship together when we confess our sins together when we feed the poor together when we raise our children together when we suffer together through sickness and health we all of a sudden realize that our lives are a lot richer than what fox and cnn are offering us Hmm. and and acts of sacrificial love can bridge gaps that words can't so when when words don't work acts of love can and especially sacrificial love and so the power of being together and loving each other while we're both broken and hurting is is so much more what we need as human beings what we're longing for i mean so there's a there's a huge survey over decades of information from from the Pew Research Center about the decline in, in Christianity while at the same time there's this there's this huge spike in longing for community and longing for meaning beyond the self and longing for meaningful work together right The church actually can do that we can do that as christian communities so it's it's really a matter of moving away from those abstractions those binaries offered to us by the culture and saying look i've raised my kids with you i know that you're not ignorant stupid or evil i know you believe in jesus and and we disagree but i want to know how it is you think what you think and i want to i want to learn from you and i expect to find the image of god in you Hmm. those kinds of experiences they break down the cultural binaries that have been forced on us and they give us something richer and more beautiful to live in and through. And
0: yeah, that's so true. I'm just thinking of my own experience, some of the caricatures I had in my mind of the other in whatever category you want to think about, uh that, that all I think that only ever broke down when there was a relationship that was that, that happened, right? I met somebody who who was in that camp or from that perspective. And I was surprised to find that I liked them, that they that they loved Jesus, that they had something to teach me. And yet they were in this other category. It started to break down some of those assumptions I had about them. And th- those binaries, like you say, they, they start to, to fail us. Yeah,
1: And I think the fear immediately is to say, well, am I losing my integrity as a Christian if I'm going to be in relationship with this person? When in reality, I believe that the call to love each other while we disagree is an expression of our deepest held Christian commitments and is actually only possible by the presence of the spirit. So Mm -hmm. we tend to think that loving those who disagree with us is a kind of taint where in reality, Christ loved us while we were yet sinners. He died for us as an expression of his character and as the truth of the gospel. And, we don't have to win every argument because Christ has already won. And and, and by loving those who disagree with us is not a capitulation necessarily. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them. It means that our love for them is the argument.
0: That's really helpful, Michael, because I've had that experience too, where I think, okay, am I am I like losing my integrity? Am I kind of, yeah, it's hard to articulate almost, but like not following Jesus properly if I make these friendships. and And, and yet when you look at the gospels, the night Jesus is betrayed, you know, potentially hours before this trial begins and his crucifixion begins, he's praying for the unity of his disciples. <laughs> I mean, that, that's got to be uppermost, if not foremost, in our mm-hmm. pursuit as followers of Jesus. Right. That's what he's like obsessed mm-hmm. with almost in this last moment before his life is, is taken yeah. from him.
1: Yeah. Not only that, this is how they will know, right? Mm-hmm. This is how they will know me. Um, they will know that the Father and I are one because you are one, mm-hmm. um, and so our capacity to witness to the truth of the gospel is dependent on our capacity to love each other while we disagree.
0: Oh wow! Oh man, that 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 right there. Oh, sorry, I'm I, I'll cut my blabbing here. But that, that's perfect. that's perfect. I mean, that idea is so so important.
1: I would say for individuals, and and this is really the sort of the acute symptom we're all feeling, right? We we have somebody that we love that we no longer to know how to talk to. Situate the conversation not in the simple binary that the culture gives us, but in your shared life and shared history and shared commitments that you have together. The, the, the conflicts that we're most afraid of are with the people that we most love. So situate it in, you know, I've known you a long time. I know that you love Jesus and you've been important in my life. So help me understand, right? Help me understand how you think this. Um, What do you think of me? You've known me a long time, right? And seriously, especially with other Christians, seriously consider framing a tough conversation in prayer and naming the fact that we are intentionally gathering here in the name of Jesus, not to win, Mm. but to worship. To seek to love God and each other more deeply and to display the fruit of the Spirit. Let's do that together through this disagreement. And let's watch Mm. for the Spirit's work when folks are willing to make that move that 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 really is where the spirit acts to do a new thing it's it's the same kind of vulnerability that the son shows to the father on the cross right i am going to be faithful to you you know and and again in john he loved them and he loved them to the end and faithfulness Hmm. to the father and love for the disciples right when we're willing to love each other vulnerably that way that's when the spirit does a new thing and you see the resurrection life break forth in your midst and then you have something to say to the culture
0: you use the word worship michael mm-hmm. i love framing it as an act of yeah. worship because so very true that's that's what this is it's it's a dying to myself to love my neighbor as myself, and that is an act of worship. Yeah. I wonder if if Isaiah was to rewrite it chapter one or two, where he, he's essentially saying, Stop the the singing, stop the sacrifices, there's blood on your hands. Like that is what I desire mm. as your act of worship. I wonder if this is a way in which the, the heart of God is just crying out to say, hey, you want to worship? Then have coffee yeah. with a liberal or a conservative or someone who thinks this or who thinks this. Like That is your act of worship. And, and like you say, only then can we have something to offer to the culture. I, I just can imagine first century folks watching a zealot and a tax collector walk by and say, "Like, what are they doing together? What is that? We don't have that category in our, in our brains for that kind of relationship? What do they have in common that's stronger and more significant and weighs more than all the things we know they disagree about?
1: I, I think that's exactly right. And, and historically, this is the case. I mean, the early church didn't have an evangelism wing. <laughs> they simply lived out this faith between Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, rich and poor, male and female, in, in ways that were astonishing. Right? Hmm. It wasn't until Constantine that evangelism kicks in. It's not until you know the Christianity becomes the religion of the empire that you need to convert people. Hmm. And, and it's not, that's not to say you shouldn't do evangelism. I'm just saying the church spread like wildfire by being the church. Hmm. And that's the same possibility we have now. Again, 93% of Americans want to do better, and they don't know how. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and shown how. <laughs> and, and I think we've got to get out of the, the rut of thinking worship is this, is this thing that we do over here on Sunday morning. And it's just it's kind of a useless thing. Actually, when we worship, we live out the life of God and it does real work in the world. <laughs> like when we love each other sacrificially such that we testify to the truth of the resurrection by our willingness to sacrifice, right? Because our confidence in the resurrection of God, God, that, that is an act of worship that leads to deeper love of God and love of neighbor and the fruit of the spirit. And that's, that's, our, that's our offering, our love offering to God. That is worship. Uh, we need certainly special times of worship to sit in God's presence, to recognize it's already been done, that all things already hold together in Christ. And we're called to now participate in that, but we have to remember that worship does work. Worship remakes the world, hmm. and I don't think we think that way about worship. It's sort of this thing that's irrelevant and nice, and we sh- we know we should do, but it doesn't do any work in the world. And I I think that's that's heresy.
0: Hmm. Oh, amen, Michael. So here we are at the end of October when we're recording this, just about to have a really contentious election. And I'm sure I'm just thinking about, honestly, November 4 is the day that I'm I'm nervous about because gathering at school after such a contentious election and, and you know who knows we'll know who Boy. won by then but there'll be approximately half of our students feeling like lost and, and robbed and the other half will be feeling celebrating and, and victorious and like how, how do we do this do you have any really practical ideas about how to how to walk right now as a christian school but also in the days after the yeah. election
1: yeah so this is a challenge that it's that i appreciate you naming it i At one level, you know, the day after the election is going to be kind of like the whole country showing up in the ER with a heart attack when what really needed to happen was changing a diet and going to the Y for the past four years.
0: I love that. That's
1: so true. In 2016, we had sort of a cultural bloodbath and exactly what you're describing already happened, right? My phone rang off the hook for days of a a lot of schools and colleges just saying, (laughs) We don't know what to do. This is a disaster We got half of us hate, hate the other half. So, so we have both an acute problem and a chronic problem, right? You have to treat both. But when when you show up in the ER, you got to treat the heart attack, right? So to treat the heart attack, this incredibly pressing moment, I think you've got to, for Christian schools or Christian churches, or you have to, you have to begin by, by bringing everybody together and saying, we belong first and foremost to Jesus. This is our, our baptismal identity is our primary and most formative identity. We have these other identities, and they're secondary. And so I think you just have to frame that. And then you have to recognize that some of us are going to be in glee and some of us are not. And what does it mean that our, our Christian identity supersedes that? And how are we going to practice that? So I, I really do think this sort of this pattern of gathering in the name of Jesus to remember who we are, Being very intentional about practicing loving each other while we disagree, such that you create structures to do what I mentioned earlier, focus on the image of God, ask questions of understanding, presuming the good faith and good intentions and integrity and intelligence of the other. And you set up spaces to just hear each other, to not make arguments, to not gloat, to not weep, to not protest, but to just listen. And create those spaces that are intentionally practices of worship, seeking to love God and love each other more deeply. That's the goal, um, and that and, and so you can you you can create activities around just that, and that has to start with leadership. Have, and it's got to be demonstrated by by every single teacher. And maybe if there are there are teachers that do disagree, and it's known, and they're able to share that to demonstrate it right to actually model this and then say, now Hmm. you do this. So this, this pattern of gathering in the image of Jesus, practicing loving each other while we disagree and then witnessing to the spirits work at after, after an engagement stop and say, our goal was to love each other. How did we do, what do we, what, what can we give thanks for? What do we need to confess? What do we need to lament and what do we hope for? Right? So set the goals of loving each other and then test against it and confess where it went wrong and begin to take on that habit, uh, because this isn't going to be the end. It's a long time in coming. The polarization is not going away after the election. And I, I think if, if folks can see this as the first, right, just like the, the heart attack, okay, you can treat it, you can bring the temperature down, you can settle things down, but it's got to be part of a longer term program.
0: I would love, I'm just, I have this image in my mind of Christians debating or, or articulating different perspectives and then going to the table together to, to participate in the sacrament of communion together yeah. as a way of demonstrating this is more, this is yeah. bigger yeah. than what we just talked about. Not that these things are unimportant, but man, when God dies, that's kind of a big deal. And that's what's <laughs> brought us together more than the things we disagree about.
1: I think that's right, and, and again, I think being able to show a little bit of the—I mean, I think everybody recognizes the ugliness, and again, 93% of Americans want to do better. So, by focusing on the possibilities, I think there are enormous opportunities, and getting people to see those opportunities. I, you know, we also—I mean, we have created a, a practice called the Colossian Way of engaging conflict as opportunity, and we have a curriculum on political talk. How do you talk about politics? And it's actually 10 sessions of practice. And so it lays out how to gather in the name of Jesus, you know, how to how to focus on our unity, how to pray together because we're going to need it, how to engage and then how to how to reflect back on what the spirit's done. Um, And there's there's online facilitator training. It's you know, you can do it in a few hours. There's if the political talk curriculum is online, but there's also a free sample. So so even if you just wanted to try the sample, that would be something concrete, ready to go in hand, ready to deploy. Um, there are a number of schools that are running the Colossian way quite successfully, and many of them have been doing it sort of in preparation. Um, but it can be done at any; it can be picked up at any time.
0: Where should listeners go to find more about what you just described?
1: ColossianForum.org, and you can get a free sample of the political talk. But under the story you'll see the different curricula and the training possibilities.
0: Michael, I've got to tell you, for the first time in a long time, when it comes to politics, <laughs> I'm actually feeling a little encouraged. Just even simply by this idea that here we are in this polarized time. And yet being a Christian, as you've said so many times, this is our thing. Reconciliation is our thing. This is what we do and have been called to do. And it's been modeled for us by the son of God, no less. Let's go. Let's engage. Let's worship by participating in reconciliation.
1: Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I remember early on in this work, heading into a very public engagement, thinking to myself, If the Holy Spirit doesn't act in power right now, I've got nothing. Hmm. And we moved into this gathering in the name of Jesus, practicing, and the Spirit moved in power and did a new thing in front of a big audience who proclaimed a miracle. (laughs) And it was was mind-blowing. And I have found that when we're willing to gather in the name of Jesus and make ourselves vulnerable to each other and to the Holy Spirit, that God does a new thing. And I've seen it happen over and over and over and over. Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways. But like you said, this is our moment. What the world needs more than anything else right now is the politics of the kingdom, the politics of self-giving love, the politics of 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 of, of resurrection. And and it can and it can happen. And I've seen it. And and it's sort of it's addictive to me. I this is what I do, and this is what I want to do. And it is our moment. So I think. Uh, I was talking to a pastor yesterday. They're they're doing the political talk curriculum. And he just said, you know, it doesn't matter who wins the election. On the other side of it is our mission field. This is our moment. I just think that's exactly right.
0: Hey, Michael, we don't often end this way, but would you be willing uh, to just pray for the weeks ahead for Christian school communities so that we embrace this mission and this calling?
1: I'd be honored. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are our hope there is no other and in this very difficult moment where we're tempted to despair we also have the possibility of learning to depend on you more fully and to discover afresh that you have given us everything we need to be faithful you have shown us through the disastrous possibilities on offer from our culture that you are more beautiful more true and more joyful and we want this And we want you and we want this resurrection life to break forth in our midst. Give us the courage and the power to lay down our need to win, to be willing to, if not lay down our arguments or lay down our lives, at least be willing to lay down our arguments so that we may love one another so that the world may know that you are Lord. Lord, be with every school administrator and teacher who is caught in this bind and is feeling pressured and tempted to despair and to turn to you afresh and to rely on your spirit to gather, to gather their communities and their students together in the name of Jesus, to practice vulnerability to you and to each other so that they may experience afresh the reconciling power of the gospel that this world so desperately needs. Lord, you can do this, you have done this, you are doing this, and this is the future of the world. Help us live into it today. We ask this in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting a Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B R U S S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, this is Lighting a Fire.